United States submarine base at Key West, Florida. The dispatch that quoted President Truman's press secretary, Charles Cross, as saying that President Truman has no knowledge of any secret project by this government that would give substance to the existence of such objects. Cross also said that both the Air Force and the Navy deny that such objects exist. There it goes. Part two. Yeah. Take no, two. Actually, technically, like part three. Yeah. had to stop the beginning episode of last yesterday, last night, whatever. Just um, been anyway. Riddled with technical difficulties. And just. And physical difficulties. Difficulties, honestly. <laughs> um, hey, what's up? My name is Noelle, and don't get me wrong, I love my dogs, but the way that. Apollo, after doing a day of lounging and sleeping, will just like the moment I'm in the middle of doing something important, will pace around me just breathing like this. Do you know what I'm talking about? You are plagued with just breathing issues all around you. Like, you can't escape it. Oh, I called Bear five minutes ago, and now he's finally in here. Soaking wet. Um, yeah, you are you are just plagued with um, breathing issues like Apollo, me, mm-hmm. Cora, yeah, probably yourself. I feel like you developed asthma. Uh, yeah. And I'm Chelsea. Bear is soaking wet. I just ran my hands through his fur. Why? He was very greasy, so I think somehow he got grease on him, and now he's just flinging tufts of hair all over the place. Ew. <laughs> I'll be damned if he ain't cute. Yeah, at least he's cute. Well, well, well. Let's get into it. Yeah, it is. Mister fucking breathes a lot, um, and, it, and it's not. He's not out of breath. He just huffs and puffs because then he'll stop and then pick it back. It doesn't matter. I'm so sick of it. Um, anyway, uh, Chelsea, this might sound familiar to you. Hopefully, you nail it like you did the first time when the recording got corrupted. <sighs> But if you would go ahead and read this passage from Revelation for me, please. Yeah. The difference between yesterday and today was yesterday I took asthma medicine. So we'll see if I can get through sentences today. Here we go. Great. (laughs) Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from earth to heaven in front of people. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, I fucked up. Start over. (laughs) (laughs) The episode is just you saying it over and over again. Um, Work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Um, Also, context, this is our first episode of Spooktober. It's a little bit late, um, but this is the first one, so hopefully you're picking up what we're putting down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, 
And with that being said, go ahead and put this passage down, put it back in your pocket and save it for later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you got to don't like put the lid on the Tupperware just yet. Yeah. Just put it on the counter for now. Exactly. Cool. Elmer Lewis Gray was born in Butler, Missouri on March 12th, 1881. Just to take us back in time to what was happening in the U.S. in 1881, and I tried to keep this politically leaning since that ties into our story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The year 1881 began with the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes in office. Hayes served out his first and only term and officially turned over the reins to the government to James A. Garfield, who happened to be a close friend of his in March of 1881. January 25th, Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell formed the Oriental Telephone Company. July 2nd, James A. Garfield, President of the United States, is shot by lawyer Charles J. Gutierrez at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in Washington, D.C. He survives. Oh, yes, Queen. That's that's because only lasagna can kill him. (laughs) Totally not recycled. Not recycled bits at all. None at all. (laughs) What did I say? Oh, yeah. July 14th, Billy the Kid is shot and killed by Pat Garrett outside Fort Sumner. September 19th, surprise, bitch, President James A. Garfield dies from an infection from his gunshot wound. Shit. Vice President Chester A. Arthur becomes the 21st president of the United States. The next day, Vice President Chester Arthur was sworn in as president. The shooter wrote to the new president from jail, taking credit for vaulting Arthur into the White House. According to President Hayes, Arthur's administration was best known for liquor, snobbery, and worst. He served only one term from 1881 to 1885. Still a better political climate than any we will ever know. A thousand percent. Now back to Elmer. From childhood on, he would be in and out of juvenile detention centers, jails, and prisons. His prior record to when we start like really getting good concrete proof and evidence of it going into the public record. When he gets on the lamb finally. Yeah. Yes. And literally. Mm-hmm. foreshadowing <laughs> included the Genoa Indian Industrial School in Nebraska, which is a juvenile detention center, the Missouri State Prison and the Oklahoma State Prison and the Colorado State Prison. At the age of 28, Elmer was admitted to the Missouri State Penitentiary following a conviction of grand larceny, which is just stealing with a value of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He was sentenced to one to 20 years, which is a pretty broad scope. And apparently they decided on just two years. And he was released on November 1910, only serving one year at the age of 29. Hmm. Lucky guy. Just a slap on the wrist, really. Yeah, just a, Elmer. just a little vacation. From 1932 and 1934, He was serving time in the Colorado State Penitentiary for, you guessed it, larceny again. He decided to try and switch it up, going by the fake name Woodrow Lamb. You know, because he was on the lamb. Because he was on the lamb. Uh, The most made-up name ever known. Also, potentially a name you'd see in a children's TV series. It is a cute name. I think it's cute. I think Woodrow Lamb is like Lamb Chop, the generic version on public access cable. Well, Woodrow Lamb is my father, is what Lamb Chop would say. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Chelsea pointed out yesterday, but forgot to point out today, 
this is the turn of the time. You could just go to a different city with a new name and no one would know who you were. You just got to live a new life as a new yeah, man. I forgot I said that. What a fucking dummy for getting caught for this stuff. Like people were getting prescribed heroin at the time and you're getting caught stealing. He's yeah. not even trying. He's going in dressed as an actual lamb and handing out business cards with his name on it. And then he's just in full public scooping up goods and services like he's carrying a sack of laundry and just scuttling out the door in slow motion. He's getting caught on purpose. We'll find out later that that's probably true. But also, I think that he was trying a little tiny bit by going with a fake name because like that's how you did it, right? Mm -hmm. Like. You would commit a bunch of crimes as yourself, and then you would just take a five-minute walk over to the next town and then be a new guy and commit new crimes. So it's basically like you started over again. Yeah, or he could have worked for like a week and had enough money to just buy property and live off of that, live off the land for the rest of his life and not try. It blows my mind. Yeah, back when buying an acre cost 50 cents. Yeah, he could have just picked up a penny off the ground and been set for life. Yeah. Yeah. Woodrow Lamb. So anyway, under this name, he committed burglaries in Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma, Colorado, and you guessed it, Utah. One of the many crimes he committed in Utah was captured in the 1901 Ogden Standard newspaper, which was the same year that Chelsea graduated high school. Yeah. And then I'll say, Fuck you. I graduated high school in 1903. There you go. And (laughs) describes a man named Elmer Gray being arrested and sentenced to, quote, five days on the rock pile for stealing an umbrella valued at $3.50 from the Payne and Hearst Company. And don't worry, for those who, what, I'm picturing, (laughs) I'm picturing him on a pyramid of rocks. Yes, as was I. And public scrutiny being like what'd you do and you'd be like nothing and they'd be like that then why you up one more time yeah and yeah <laughs> well yeah, they're riding around on their bikes that. with the wheel that's too big that's exactly <laughs> what i think happened and they throw rocks at him yeah. and then they ah. trickle down and make the rock pile taller that's exactly so. how trickle down economics works finally we're finally breaking into a new tier of podcasting which is <laughs> financial suggestions and references <laughs> so um unfortunately for all of us that's not what uh five days on the rock pile meant what five days on the rock pile actually is is literally breaking rocks hard labor Um, which is supposed to be a penalty for the crime of stealing. Um, We've yet to understand or decide what the broken rock shards were used for. Just recreational chiseling. Yeah, just for the love of the game, I guess. Uh Unfortunately for him, his crimes would escalate in Utah, and Elmer was charged on August 10th, 1937, at the age of 56 as follows. This is a direct quote from the sentencing. So rest our souls for what we're about to read just try to understand what Mm. they're saying well some different time back then yeah that the said woodrow lamb at the time and place aforesaid which is a fake word in the first many in this paragraph (laughs) in the nighttime of the said day did willingly burglarously fake 
unlawfully and feloniously fake break in and enter the building known as the Camas Confectionery in Camas County of Summit, state of Utah. Said building being then and there occupied by Douglas Simpson with intent, the goods and chattels then and there being in said building, then and there willingly, unlawfully and feloniously to steal, take and carry away. Which is the AKA, longest sentence. Yeah. They were meeting a word count big time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, this is all gobbledygook to say he stole in front of the guy. The yeah. guy was sitting there. Caught handed. Literally at the fucking table, is sitting in his chair, drinking his coffee. And he looks up and he goes, you fucking stealing in front of me right now? And he goes, hey. I say, hey. 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 lamb, eh? Yeah. And then he just. And. <laughs> Jumped on his weirdly proportioned bike and just scuttled away. (laughs) And that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, He entered a plea of guilty and was sentenced to an indeterminate term in the state prison of the state of Utah on September 11th, 1937. He ultimately served 11 years, despite multiple denied applications to the Board of Pardons every single year of his incarceration, even including offers from his family to come take care of him. And these requests for pardons, he mentions, quote, that he had been kidnapped by five Democratic officials, end quote. And that's why he was doing the things he did, I guess. And, quote, asking for an end to this farce. Oh, yeah. Also, no, if he really wanted to sell it, he should have said that five Republicans came and got him. Because if you get kidnapped by five Democrats, that's just well, embarrassing, this was, bro. This was back in the day. I don't know if this, if 1937 was the year they flipped. Do you, like, because remember, do you remember? You remember because you were alive. Because I was then. there. Yeah, because that happened on it, September 11th. We're all supposed to fucking so remember. We're literally all supposed to remember. It's all we're supposed to do. God, and look at us forgetting. There was a point in time when they flipped. So back in the day, being a Democrat, was having Republican ideology as we know it now, conservatism, and being a Republican was being more liberal-minded and all that good stuff. And then it flipped. It's, at some point. it's a pretty big swing from LiveScience.com. It says that sometime between the 1860s and 1936, the Democratic Party became the party of big government. Well, Mama, this was 1937, so... <laughs> well, fuck. I don't know, then. It's so probably still lingering, then. I still stand by what I say. If you mm-hmm. get kidnapped by five Democrats, that shit's embarrassing. That For true. a week? Mm-hmm. So. Slack-jawed, mouth-breathing party. Yeah. And he was like, don't take me. Yeah. And they were like, oh, okay. And he was like, no, I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you're hurting our feelings. <laughs> And that's how it happened. Uh Um, He also added on the pardon request because it asked for like your parents names and whereabouts. He said, Uh unfortunately, can't give that to you because they're both dead. They died of grief because also the Democratic kidnapper murdered my first wife. Here's the thing. They can they have a log, a detailed log of even the aliases of this man for stealing the most minuscule shit. But he can just casually mention that his wife was murdered. And they're like, nah, you're not pardoned. I really think he had three lines. He had three lines, as you will see. And I can upload the picture online. There is a um, scan of his official Utah State Board of Pardons from March 15th, 1947. You can see here he has 
just a few lines to plead his case. And even when it says address of parents, he's gone off. He's typed over the line. Like there is no more room for his sentence, but uh, he's letting them know both dead died of grief when kidnappers murdered my wife. Like he is working it out. He only has three sentences to put on a show and he's doing it. Yeah. Also, it says um, that <laughs> it says, have you ever appeared before the board of pardons? And it says once each year for 10 years. And then it Which says, is a fun way to say yes all yes, the time. Yeah. Ever, yep. It's like, you know me, don't be weird about it. And then if granted favorable action by the board, I will make my home at depends on circumstances and et cetera. Yeah. Yep. Um, and <laughs> name an address of persons who will, who will assist in obtaining employment. So this is like, obviously if we let you out, we need to know, as you mentioned, where you're going to live. And now we uh -huh. need to know what you're going to do. And he says, uh, I was kidnapped. Uh, haven't heard from this friend for 10 years. Kidnappers wouldn't allow it. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, he's so fucking creative. I just can't help but love him. They're like, we need a single reference. We just need one, one single reference. And he's like, you guys, I was kidnapped for 10 years. They didn't let me have friends. Yeah, so he could have even said it was a broom and an old coat. And they would have been yeah. like, that's good enough for us, Woodrow. Yeah. <laughs> where the Utah State Board of Pardons in 1947 just give us anything other than five Democrats kidnapped me for 10 years <laughs> yeah. and didn't allow me to yeah. have friends. You know, I, I take have it no reference. I take it back on what I said about him being embarrassed by the Democrats, because if you come to Utah and you shit talk Democrats, you can you should be untouchable. It just that's the boogeyman of Utah. And the fact that that didn't work. He wasn't trying hard enough. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> no, literally, like this should have gotten him off. Name and address of persons who will appear before the Board of Pardons meeting. No one will ever know it, but the Democrat kidnappers <laughs> and their friends who, hold, who held me kidnapped, I'll do my own talking to the board. Like he's serving, he is serving straight theater. And they said, no, which is kind of fucked up, actually. I also love that even though he typed this out, it's still unhinged and slanted. Like, <laughs> yeah. And instead of periods, it's just, uh, oh my god, backslashes. That's right. There you go. Fucking stroke victim over here. I get it. So, um, <laughs> and then even here we see, I was arrested by, and this is where he enters, five democrat officials so i also believe that he is saying if if i'm actually this is this i'm putting it together girl he's saying the police are the democratic kidnappers so he hasn't actually uh, been serving jail time for his entire lifespan yeah it's, look up <laughs> look up here it says i am i think it says like also known under the name of woodrow lamb but he crossed out where his like alias name is and wrote kidnapped. Uh, he then, did. And then Woodrow Lamb, a bum. A bum. <laughs> a bum. <laughs> he did. He did. He wrote, I am crossed out, kidnapped under the name of Woodrow Lamb. Uh, and then I was sentenced by Judge 
no sentence. My off- my offense was kidnapped by five Democrat officials. <laughs> God, he's, so, he's so fucking cool. Why does he have to be a piece oh of shit? God, I know. It reads like fucking Twitter, I tell you. Oh, my God. I hereby apply to your honorable body for a, the story inserts, an end to this farce. Tarnation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh god my this is fucking perfect. god i'm gonna this frame is beautiful that. i was just gonna say i wonder if that we can get a formal copy of this because that's it's so fucking amazing so anyway anyway this was original twitter girl yeah this oh my original. god he would have gone so fucking viral he would have had a podcast elon musk would have gone on it oh my yeah he would have had like viral Twitter stands and everything. Damn. He would have had an OnlyFans. <laughs> he would have had a boob job. <laughs> oh my God, I'm obsessed with it. So, anyway, if you couldn't tell by his own entries, it was during his time serving in Utah where his paranoid personality <laughs> grew a little oh, bit. That's, that's just an unfortunate fallout from being framed by democrat murderers yeah Yeah, when they're all in on it you know Mm -hmm. and um as you can see it wasn't just paranoia about his daily life and the world around him but more specifically the government and how they were after him which (laughs) get in line yeah get in line buddy (laughs) after serving his last 10 years six months in prison apparently those pardons weren't doing him any fucking good. He good was released grief. on July 11th, 1948, Dude, at the uh, age of 67 years old. 11, 11, 11. This guy's got some numbers. I know. He's a lucky boy. Now let's meet Lily. Lily and her twin sister, Ethel, were born in Canada to Wilmer and Francis Gray on June 4th, 1880. Her family immigrated to the United States, showing up in Michigan for the 1900 to 1910 federal census. In July 1898, Ethel, the twin sister, was admitted admitted to Traverse City State Hospital, which is an asylum. Mm. We don't know the reasons to her admittal, and it is also good to note for those who care, the Traverse City State Hospital in Michigan is also known as the most haunted place in the world. So. Oh, okay. So she, she went there and then mm-hmm. was haunted to death. Yeah. And uh, so I I would say without knowing why she was admitted and what happened, happened to her, but knowing that she would stay there until her death in 1917 at the age of 36, it was not good things. Not good she, things were happening. She probably had hysteria or something. Yeah. For thinking like if, about the times. He, literally. She she said, can I wear pants today? And they put, like, her, in the put her in the asylum. So, uh, yeah. I just, it's conjecture, but I think it's fair to say if she died at the age of 36 and was admitted to an asylum that would become known as the world's most haunted place, probably wasn't good reasons that she was there. And good things did not happen to her. Right. So, meanwhile, Lily was unmarried and still living at home. But shortly after the death of her twin sister, Lily would marry for the first time with a man named Richard C. Walsh in Chicago, Illinois, on October 8th, 1918. At the time, 
he was 67 and she was 38. Gross. I know. But it's okay because the marriage only lasted for seven years until he died in December of 1925. She remarried a short time later, um, November of 1926, to Frank Zimmerman. Hmm. Good name. Right. They met working at um, the post office in Chicago. They were married for 17 years until, unfortunately, his death in August of 1943. Okay. And in 1950, for what we can only assume is cursed intervention, Lily decided to pack it up and go to Salt Lake City, where she would meet her third and final husband, someone we all now know comfortably as Elmer Lewis. Mm, Fresh out of the sun bin and just ready to mate. Ready to mingle. There's not much known about like their courtship, their dating, how they met, but they got married July 11th. Another fucking 11. He's got some numerology. That's, you know, it all makes sense. Elmer married Lily at the courthouse in Elko, Nevada. At the time of their marriage, Elmer was 71 and Lily was 72. Hmm. Progressive kind of. Right. Also finding love at that age, slay sister. Yeah, well, was it love? I mean, you know, after their marriage, the couple rented a small house located at 1216 Pacific Avenue. Um, It's just so everyone knows you can't go there. It's been torn down and now it's an apartment building. So anyway, um, and like I said, not much is known. Like even what happened during their marriage, other than Lily's family hated him. It's easy to see why, because he was just perpetually incarcerated. But from what we can gather, he stayed out of trouble during their marriage. But that's not to say he wasn't still convinced that five Democrats had kidnapped him for a majority of his life. Right. Yeah. He was probably still spewing nonsense, but he had Lily there to take care of him. Yeah. To make sure he didn't go to literal jail. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately for him, not long into their marriage, Lily became sick. And there are conflicting stories here. One stating that her family, after she started getting sick, took her away and kept her from him in her dying days. And another one saying that he was with her. And one of his biggest frustrations was that he wasn't allowed in the ambulance when um, she got really sick and was admitted right before she passed. Mm. Okay. And he blamed that once again on the government because it technically was law at the time that you couldn't ride in an ambulance with someone. Oh, okay. So, and um, I kind of lean towards the first one, like with the family intervening, because spoiler alert, they are both buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery, but as far away from each other as you can possibly be on the property. See, I would lean towards the second one because I could see him blowing a fucking fuse over something as innocuous as a simple mandate about who can ride in the ambulance. And then he's like, then I want nothing to do with it. And then her family probably took over and then kept her away from him. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it could be either or. And honestly, there may be even a version of reality where it's both. Yeah, I'm not, I don't believe in any version of reality where it wasn't terrible. Yeah, exactly. So if you couldn't calculate, they were married for six years until Lily's death on November 14th, 1958, at the Salt Lake City General Hospital. Lily's death was caused by pulmonary elm, elm, oh my God, embolism. embolism. You got it. 
and kidney failure at the age of 77, which at the time people would call this natural causes. Well, it's kind of natural. Yeah. I mean, like dying's natural. So. I mean, isn't it natural for your kidneys to just fail once you get too old? And pulmonary embolism, like we are pretty high in altitude. Maybe that just got her. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But those are the exact reasons, but they will summarize it and say natural causes. So, and I think as we've mentioned before, it's safe to say that maybe grief also maybe with the potential ambulance situation, um, just tapped into his, yeah, Uh, yeah. um, tapped into his paranoia again. And I mean, I, grief makes people do crazy things, right? Yeah. Makes people do pretty hurtful things too. If you feel entitled, like entitlement, I can see him going off the deep end. And the reason why we're talking about this and the reason why we're telling you about these people and the reason why we started off with a Bible verse is because upon the time of her death, Elmer submitted Lily's epitaph, which reads on her headstone to this day in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. Lily E. Gray, June 6th, 1881. Also, me, note here, editors, note, that's her wrong birthday. What an asshole. <laughs> He's I like, know. it works. November 14th, 1958, victim of the beast, 666. Mm-hmm. So. Which is so. fucking creepy when you stumble across this grave and you don't know the backstory. And I would say that I didn't know the backstory until you had told it to me. But people mm-hmm. know about this grave from yeah. yonder. It's on the Atlas Obscura. So when you go to the Atlas Obscura and type in Salt Lake City, it pulls up all like the creepy lore and like things to do and creepy things to see. And this tombstone is one of them. And the unfortunate part is, um, I, how can I say this? Like sometimes local lore that we all like love, like the spooky stories, the creepy house at the end of the street I'm pretty sure that old lady's a witch who eats children. Um, You know, this woman must have been like a practitioner of dark magic. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's sad stories of normal people who live normal lives that are corrupted. You know, like in this case, Lily E. Gray's only um, offense was that she loved and married a man who was unwell and um, he chose to do this because the best guess that we have at what the beast he's referring to is, is the government, which once again ties into his proven documented written paranoia. Um, And there's part of me that loves lore like this, right? Mm -hmm. Who loves a little haunted tour who loves to see this kind of spooky and unsettling thing. And then there was the part of me years ago, almost 10 years ago when I moved to Utah and was first shown this as like one of the first things to do and like took pictures next to it. and was like, this is so fucking metal, mm-hmm. which it is. <laughs> That's unarguable. And then I took the time to research it. And it, it um, at that time, nothing was really out. 
You could find public marriage records, but it wasn't until historians started to dig in to like criminal records that they found more of this history. And that wasn't until like 2015, 2016, um, that this, the story of Lily started to come out and started to be painted. And it, it, it's super unfortunate and it breaks my heart that um, this woman is now this kind of like uh, sideshow character and her only crime being just uh, loving a man who is unwell. Um, yeah. So, it, not to get yeah. too true crimey, but it's always the husband at the end of the day. Yeah. Always the yeah. husband. And there's even part of me, the more that I look into uh, Elmer's history, which also to finish the story and Elmer, and if we want to talk about numerology on October 31st, 1964 was brought to St. Mark's hospital dead on arrival due to a stroke that is believed to have been caused by Parkinson's disease. He was 83 years old. And as mentioned, he was too buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery, but far, far away from Lily's grave. Which is and, probably for the best. Yeah, probably for the best. But, I mean, controversial opinion. There's part of me that um, sympathizes with him. That, like, when he did that, when he made that epitaph, like, did he, like, he really was trying to be like, fuck you, government. Like, you took my fucking wife. Here you are doing another fucking thing to mm-hmm. me. You know, like there's part of me based off of his own writings that makes me think like this was more of a fuck you to them. But unfortunately, you know, the yeah. brain rotted mind doesn't doesn't see the optics of that. And the optics of that are years later, it's going to be um, like a, a spot of lore. It's going to be a part of the local legend. Um, and unfortunately, as time goes on and people don't have the information to fill the gaps, they fill it themselves and they fill it themselves with, um, I, I, I would assume things that would probably offend her. Yeah. There's a local haunted tour that I won't name who, um, says some pretty egregious things about her, um, and why she has this epitaph saying victim of the B666. And I'll just say there are things that I would love people to, to remember me by, but this woman probably would be disturbed to know yeah. that her name was synonymous with these accusations. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that bums me out. Um, there's two wolves inside of me. There's the wolf who loves spooky lore. And then there's the wolf who goes, this was, um, this was a woman who became a victim of her husband's paranoia. Yeah. It's, it's like a tale as old as time. Whenever you hear about stuff like this, it's a bummer. It makes for a cool story, but I think that, yeah, it gives more power into something that she wouldn't want to be portrayed as. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be cool if she could get like the old flippity flip where people like feel empowered by her grave, which I think probably would, could happen. I'm sure that like people like you who go there and there are excited, but maybe just like be <laughs> excited separately, but I don't know. Um, yeah. I have only seen this grave uh, in real life, maybe like once or twice. Um, yeah, I used to be able to find it in the dark. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that is Lily. Rest easy, queen. Yeah, rest easy, queen. Now let's talk about some more Utah lore that is not just close to my heart as Lily is, but physically close to me in proximity. I used to drive by this like every day when I lived in <laughs> Salt Lake, especially when I would come to your house. Mm-hmm. Cause girl, 
I can see her from here. Ugh. On July 25th, 2015, Reddit user Disco Godfather 6922. Great name. Posted fantastic name. Posted a photo of a lime green building with purple doors, scattered yellow framed small windows that were blocked out by cardboard. An empty peace and love dilapidated playground. Yeah. It looks post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it does. It looks like a fallout map. Yeah, you'll get syphilis just looking at it, really. Yeah, it's brittle. The address number's almost melting off of the front door, and a discolored, yellow-tinted, barely-hanging-on sign that read, Fun Time Kids Care. (laughs) And on this photo, he said, What's the deal with this place? (laughs) Lived across the street from it for five years, never seen a single kid there. And as I think Chelsea has clicked, the original thread, which I did link, is now completely redacted, but it is preserved on Imager, which you can go take a look. Unfortunately, because it's just screenshots from the original thread, you can't do the click-ins, but you can get the picture. Almost immediately, the thread blew up. Starting off with Salt Lake City locals chiming in with their curiosity and speculation. I'm not going to say it, but I, I don't know why I was crediting Reddit users, whatever. It's <laughs> fine. I credit said, users all the time. Thu Humbler said. <laughs> <laughs> the Humbler. <laughs> the Humbler said, hello, I'm a nearby resident. I just investigated this place in all caps, extremely <laughs> dubious. People inside, children among them, but I could only see this by peeking through the gaps in the, all caps, cardboard they use to board up the windows, and all caps. I'm going to try and post some videos that I will call investigative services, which he means the cops, just fucking say it. Mm -hmm. Um, He then follows up by saying, police say this business is closed, which prompted a mailman who had actually been inside to say, quote, the only strange thing is no matter what time of day I show up with their mail, it always seemed to be nap time. And then, of course, people replying to that original guy saying cops said it was closed, saying it's not closed. Their hours are listed. They have a website, which seemed generic. And they were mentioning how the website reviews were even generic with things like, the teacher helped me with my homework. Very yeah. nice. And the teachers yes. were generic and people just had like a lot to say about that. And uh, in a shock to no one, the thread pretty swiftly became full tinfoil hat. Yeah, my people arrived. Yeah, they showed up with comments like, I'm going to advise you guys to stop looking into this place, which divulged into people saying like, I looked at this commenter's history and he's like comment, you can CIA threads and blah, 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 blah. you know what I mean? Someone saying CIA black site, money laundering, daycare center, organ harvesting. And of course, um, the crowd favorite today, uh, sex trafficking Harbor. Mm, right. Yeah. It's always gotta be, it's either gotta be sex trafficking or CIA black site. Yeah. Or both because yeah. you know, Potato, potato. (laughs) Exactly. So locals started taking it upon themselves to investigate, snapping pictures through any small hole not covered in a, not covered through a window, pacing the place, attempt to get in, nonstop calls to the daycare, 
contacting the owner, nonstop reports to the police of child abuse, and even reports to the local newspapers of, as mentioned before, child sex trafficking. The original post from r slash Lake City was removed, but users kept it going, pushing it onto r slash conspiracy, r slash conspiracy, and subreddit drama, where mods fought it out with posters nonstop who said, like, this isn't doxing, this isn't bullying, this isn't yeah. harassing, because this is all public record. I feel like they're correct in that sense. I mean, it was getting a little out of hand. They, uh, I mean, I'm jumping the gun, but they, like, go offline. They pull the yeah. website, they pull the phone number, they just unplug the phones, and they just go dark. At first, the owner was answering the calls and just being like, stop! But, yeah. you know, they eventually... <laughs> We're trying to farm children here. We are trying to eat human yeah. food. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, they just went dark, and um, mods kept taking the post down, so it was no surprise. Within a few days, uh-huh. the conversation continued onto 4chan. Mm-hmm. As the daycare went and offline. Then and then I'm sure that really went off the rails then. Oh, you fucking better believe it. Because 4chan users began doxing the owner's information. And of course, where it thrived on 4chan, it then thrives on things like InfoWars. Unfortunately, Vice News actually picked it up and did a whole fucking piece on it. Um, VT, which is another news, and of course, Channel 2 News. And it didn't even stop until like 2019, when, if you remember, unfortunately, uh, back on Facebook, the like Storm Area 51, they can't stop us all shit was happening. Yeah. Also, they started Funtime Kids Daycare, like a storm, storm Funtime Kids Daycare, they can't stop us all. Um, and Channel 2 did a write up on that as well. So, yeah, and they're, uh, their website is up for sale if somebody wants to pick that up. Yeah. So the truth as someone who has lived very close to it for years and recently watched them repair that glow green just a few weeks ago, it's unfortunately not that serious. And as I said before, as much as I like all of the SLC lore, it's once again, one of those things that's so fucking sad as one reddit user replied last year quote i know this post is old but my dad actually went there as a kid it's ran by a nicer older lady apparently my dad told me it's usually meant for kids as kind of a quote safe haven daycare to protect children who have a parent or family member that isn't meant to be in contact with them that's deemed as more dangerous or persistent Hence why the windows are semi-covered with curtains and drawings also for safety. That's why there is only a few kids there. I live right by it and they actually just painted the building a bright green with yellow windows. Yep, they redid that. In the winter, there's cute snowman in the playground, end quote. I have personally heard similar explanations of this place um, as well, that it is a daycare for refugee kids and serves low-income communities. And I have actually seen people outside in the playground before. It was only like one kid, one worker, two kids. One worker. Oh, really? I've literally yeah. never seen anyone outside of there ever. Yeah. But, um, and like not trying to be prejudiced or anything, but based off of their attire, like some of them were not, uh, not just in hijabs, but like full 
coverings. Um, it's safe to say that this is like a area for um, refugee programs. Like, so huh. um, yeah, nothing nefarious. And it's actually funny because when they were priming it recently with white paint, pe- with white paint, people were freaking out like, no, they're fucking taking it down. But thankfully they just, they kept the neon green and they were just freshening it up. Huh. And uh, when the vice reporter also kind of came back and confirmed this. Um, he was able to like get in touch with someone who knew someone who knew the owner, who was again, an old woman. I think her son recently took over for her, but yeah, um, it's meant to serve as kind of a safe haven spot for people who are, um, down on their luck when it comes to, um, you know, custody issues and, um, dangerous parents. It also serves the refugee community and also serves low income um, communities as well. Hmm. Or and, so they want you to think. Yeah, or so they want you to think. And the only fines that you can find that this place has gotten is letting the weeds grow out of pan. And what we didn't realize at the time was that what happened to Fun Time Kids Care in Little Old Salt Lake City would be oh. the predecessor to an event that became so tied up in conspiracy lore that it could be argued it helped get Trump get elected and explains how we got to the place where we're at politically today. Because days before the presidential election, over a year after fun times, a Reddit thread from r slash the Donald would go viral, get picked up by Infowars and the alt-right, and led a 28-year-old Edgar Welch to enter Comet Ping Pong Pizza on December 4th, 2016 firing three shots from an AR-15 style rifle that struck the restaurant's walls, desk, and a door. He told police he was there to, quote, self-investigate and rescue children because he had read that it was the home of satanic ritual abuse and child sex slaves. You also may know this as Pizzagate. We are trendsetters. Yep. That's what we do. Yep. If you've seen it, it came out of Utah. Sorry to say it. You may hate to process it. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Yep. Now you know why we fear Democrats here so much. <laughs> and now you know why five Democratic <laughs> officials killed my wife. Yeah, and ate my son. <laughs> oh, That's boy. crazy, though. I, I remember fun times getting looped into the Pizzagate, but I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was its predecessor. Yep, it was its predecessor. And as you mentioned, it would later get uh, linked in. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Well, we're going to go back in time to the year of my birth, 1918. Mm-hmm. Perfect. To talk about the illness that gave us our favorite glittery vampire, the Spanish flu. Hell yeah. And this was really wreaking global havoc. It was hitting the young particularly hard, and it was notorious for its rapid spread and high mortality rate and also the severity of its symptoms. You'd get fever and chills, often over 104 degrees Fahrenheit. You'd be fatigued. Um, You wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd be so tired. You would have body aches. Um, You would just be miserable with um, pain. You would have respiratory issues like pneumonia. Um, If you were asthmatic, you were just fucking put a fork in you. Check, Mm -hmm. please. Headache, um, sore throat, nosebleeds, which were described as pretty profuse um, and also terrifying, added a terrifying aspect to the ordeal and cyanosis, which meant that victims turned blue, which is fun. Um, You would get vomiting and diarrhea 
And often it would happen pretty quickly. So most of the victims, uh, it would be a very rapid onset and it would happen violently. So a lot of times death could occur within hours of your first symptom. Um, And you would feel as if you were suffocating. It was a sensation of like slowly drowning as fluid filled your lungs um, from the pneumonia that the Spanish flu would cause. Um, There would be a ubiquitous loss. There is along with physical pain, there would be a presence of death that people would react to um, mentally and physically. And uh, entire families were wiped out from this and communities were just ravaged. There were massive quarantines. Some of this is starting to sound familiar. Yeah, I was going to say, I know this girl. Um, But the weirdest part about it was that young adults seemed to be hit the hardest. Hmm. Um, It did not spare the robustness of youth, so to speak. I wonder if it's just because they were like the the people who were like out and about the most around each other, like spreading it. So like maybe they I can see that it longer, like how it was our responsibility to not share COVID is exactly. the uh, hustle and bustlers. Yeah. So the sheer scale and horrific na- nature of the Spanish flu made it one of the deadliest pandemics in human history, affecting not only um, people physically, but it permeated throughout every aspect of their lives as they had to learn to deal with like compounded amounts of fear, loss, and sorrow. And I'm sure we can all relate that the uh, collective trauma that was endured by societies worldwide during this era was unparalleled, um, which has engraved the Spanish flu into history as one of the darkest periods of our time. And Utah was no exception to its terrible reach. With an estimated 20 to 50 million people who died globally, the United States saw the deaths of around 700,000 people. And in fact, in November 18th of 1918, Utah was actually the state hit third hardest by this flu. And Ogden was so... I know, I thought that that was surprising, especially because Ogden was hit super hard. But Ogden was like the crossroads of the West, not... Well, actually, now that I say that out loud, that makes sense. I'm like, nobody comes to Ogden, but Ogden is where the trains all met. Yeah, they used to come to Ogden. Yeah, they used to come to Ogden. And it got so full of sick people that the hospitals had to create overflow in like LDS amusement halls and churches so that people could get emergency care. And on November 24th, 1903, before the pandemic hit, there was a little girl named Florence Louise Grange who was born to Ogden locals named Dottie and Ralph. Um, She was able to experience quite a good life before the flu hit. She was a particularly spirited girl who was very friendly, popular, and was even part of Ogden High's girls volleyball team in 1916, and often found herself mentioned in newspapers for her impressive performances. Wow. I know, sporty girl. But if you happen to come across plot 2A13325W in the Ogden Cemetery, you will stumble across Flo's gravestone with a final farewell from her family saying, gone but not forgotten. And you may also notice that Flo died in 1918 at only 15 years old. And there is a good amount of debate in how Flo passed away and exactly what caused her death with everything from a car accident to her choking on candy are all passed around in local lore. But the real story is that at the height of the pandemic, her parents housed a sick tenant and everybody in Flo's family got the Spanish flu. But Flo in particular got it the worst. She was Mm -hmm. at the prime age for getting locked up. 
And according to the local newspaper at the time, on December 29th at 5 a.m. in her home of 2827 Grant Avenue, Flo died from what was attributed to heart weakness after her bout with the flu. What a bummer thing to say. Like, her heart too weak. It's like, oh, you mean the fucking Spanish flu that's ripping through everyone, but it was her heart. It was just too weak. What's so crazy is that she was mentioned in the... It was just like two years later. And, you know, and I know we can um, really relate to this at how fast a pandemic can shut down life as you know it. But, like, Mm -hmm. to go from playing high school to nothing like dead like we all remember people were like oh i'll be back in the office on monday or like we'll be back in two weeks and then people going back later and it's just like all the plants are dead like your fucking coat is still there yeah your coffee's just been like sizzling yeah so. living through a pandemic um as we all have now definitely puts um, a different colored lens when you look back on historical references to mm-hmm. pandemics. Um, Especially letting somebody into your home when they're sick. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Crazy, girl. Crazy. <sighs> so, like most hauntings or ghostly encounters, the first instance of its occurrence is really hard to track down, but it does not take long for an experience to become part of the local lore. So myself, being born and raised only a few miles from Ogden, I myself heard the story of Flo and her consistent encounters with people who performed a, situal, or a simple ritual at her gravestone every night. You see, if you go into the Ogden Cemetery at night with your lights off, your headlights off, uh, you'll eventually get to a point where Flo's grave sits between you on the left and the exit straight ahead. You park your car, shine your headlights three times, and then wait. And I will tell you, I have seen this myself, and it was terrifying because after a few moments a mist will start to form across the road in front of uh, Flo's grave until it turns into kind of like a green transparent apparition and the idea was you would stay long enough until Flo would form but I always got the hell out of there Um, and there is something to be said about this shared experience of just raw dogging fear because mm-hmm. everybody got fucking scared on those trips. But there was always usually, which was crazy, like one person who like wouldn't see it and they would be unaffected. So it's like you had to be chosen to be scared by flow. Yeah, which is so interesting because I would love to do this, but I fear that I would be the one who wouldn't see anything. You might see it if you want to go find flow again, Noel. I would 100% recommend it. I would recommend having a strong spirit and by spirits, I mean tequila Mm -hmm. and obviously braving the strong possibility that the cops will be waiting there to arrest you when you're done, especially around Halloween, which is so stupid. Why are you, why, why would they do that? I don't know. Because like, if you're just going in and you're staying in your fucking car and you're just shining headlights, like let people do it. Yeah. Let people have a little fun, right? There's nothing wrong with it. And let people like encounter death. Let people encounter ghosts. So long as they're not hurting it. Like if they want to be there just to make sure shit doesn't get messed up. But like. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. As long as they're not vandalizing or being creeps. Like let the kids have fun. And by kids, I mean 30 year old women. Me, me and Noel specifically. Yeah. Um, so that's the flow. I know I've talked about her on podcasts before, but I don't want to give it away. Yeah. But, um, and this next one is a Noel suggestion. But, you bet. Uh, you bet. And it's called Emo's Grave. I've never well, done it. Have you done it? 
you spoil that. <laughs> I was Does that spoil it. it? Oh, I was going to wait to uh, oh. let it be, but it's fine. I don't think um, I did it. I haven't done it. I have not done it either. Um, mostly because actually, no, that's a lie. I did. I did do it and nothing happened. And I actually did it back when um, the mausoleum was still open. Like you could still see through the grates. Um, Mm-hmm. what was his urn like pieces of it i actually have a picture of it i could dig up on facebook but um unfortunately for me nothing happened it's like with aliens for me you want it too much i know i also think i like did it during the daytime oh, and maybe it's because that's why well yeah i know and also maybe it's because uh my subconscious knew that there wasn't anything nefarious going on so Oh man, you can't even wrap your mind, your like unconscious mind or subconscious around the idea of like perpetual energy residue. I mean, yes, but I, you'll, you'll understand why I feel this way. So Jacob Morris was born in Chelsea. You want to go ahead and get your German out? Ingenheim. Ingenheim, Germany, February 1849. He migrated to the United States at the age of 16, September in September 1865, Jesus. He initially worked at the FM. What is that? Schaefer. 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 There's a lot of German <laughs> in this one. So brutal. Um, the FM Schaefer Brewing Co. in New York City before moving to St. Louis and later joining Anheuser Busch. Oh, I was you, you could say it. Go ahead. Anheuser Busch. <laughs> And for whatever reason, he was intrigued by mining. We'll just say it was the gig of the century, the gig of yeah. the time. <laughs> and he eventually found his way to Helena, Montana to pursue that. Um, and we don't know if it was successful or he got there, did it a while and was like, holy shit, this was actually a horrible idea. No matter the case, he returned to brewing. Yeah, that's a smart choice. Always Good return problem. to alcohol at the end of the day. Yeah. And in 1871, he relocated to Salt Lake City and established the Little Montana Brewery. Within a few years, his brewery flourished, prompting him to construct a larger state-of-the-art facility at 10th East and 5th South, which he named the Salt Lake City Brewing Co. You may know her. You may see her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His brewery increased in prestige and capacity. His beer winning medal after medal at state fairs in the 1890s. His output soon eclipsed the next five largest Utah breweries combined. And by the early years of the 20th century, he was capping 6,000 bottles a day and operating 36 saloons. Today, a portion of the original brewery still stands and is now known as the Anniversary Inn. Ah, do you think they have a plaque up? I wonder. I've never been. I'd have to check it out. When I went to Tombstone, they had a plaque up where people were murdered. They're like, this is where so-and-so shot Barbara Brown the back. You'd like <laughs> to think that they would put a plaque up for the beer <laughs> then. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> You'd like to. I hope. don't know if Utah would. That's true. Um, but the Anniversary Inn is like that kind of hokey, every room is themed, right? Like it's kind of silly, crazy, which is why I love that like a portion of his original brewery is a part of the anniversary in because like that makes sense. Cause it's kind of like kitschy. I know I'm way off, but all I can think about is a really sketchy motel that you, that's like in proximity to Bruvies. 
You are the most wrong you've ever been. Yeah, I the know, energy- Noel. I know, yeah. but when I think of like, if you're telling me like a weird ass hotel in Salt Lake, I think of the meth house that's the you fucking are, hotel by breweries you're missing out because like the anniversary inn has a fucking mysteries of egypt room and it has like pharaohs carved into the wall it is it's actually a goddamn shame that i've never been there and clearly As, you've never been there this is where this is where the bachelorette party has to be and just we have to sit in silence <laughs> we just have to look um yeah it's fucking awesome there's a saloon room there is a cape cod room there is a country garden room and they are the most extreme versions of that there's a whole lighthouse room that has a mini lighthouse built into it there's a jungle safari room that looks like um the rainforest cafe um and of course the mystery of egypt's room as i mentioned super cool and then they have like some of them are kind of kitschy and then they have like the new york new york diamond suite and it looks like a fucking penthouse in like upper manhattan oh my god the lake pal suite looks like the inside of a fucking cave they have oh a phantom god. of the opera suite and then they have the presidential they have diamond a swiss suite. family robinson suite and it's like decked out like an island <gasps> look at the romeo and juliet with the no fucking, look uh, at the caribbean sea cave bitch <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that looks like the water that looks like the water motel that they stay at in a goofy movie they also have um a wild west suite that has a fucking wagon inside of it so you sleep in the wagon in the room which is camp they have a venice suite and the bed is one of the boats that you get uh Shut up! <laughs> this is the best place i've ever seen in my life i'm sending so. this they have juliet's balcony that is the theme of the room Oh, Rich's drive-in has a full-ass truck in it. I oh my god, the you. bed of the truck is the bed for the hotel. <laughs> I, I told you you were shitting on the coolest <laughs> thing. There's the teepee where it's it, that's it. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm. I can't believe you, right as a now. child who was obsessed with Egypt, did not fangirl over the mysteries of Egypt room. This has. <laughs> That has this- King motherfucking Tut in the goddamn <laughs> wall carved into it. And the sink is feet. The sink in the bathroom is I haven't scrolled to that yet. They have lost in space and the shower is a NASA rocket. So I'm sending this to Taylor. Also, I hadn't gotten down. I clicked on like the book now button and it didn't. That's how I saw the rooms. So um, they have two locations now. They have Ah, Logan and Salt Lake. They have Boise, Boise. Logan, and two in Salt Lake. I think the original one is the one on 5th. Actually, as we know, because we mentioned the address, that's the original one. Um, And this, the South Temple one, isn't as, like, you can tell it's, like, more modern, which makes it cooler. They have an Enchanted Forest one that's crazy, but they're definitely, like, trying to be more fancy with that one, whereas the other one is, like fucking bananas it's like you gave a child a credit card and said build your fucking dream room if you click on gift shop what would you expect in there because i hope you expected just boneless chicken bites (laughs) i didn't and a decorative bath bomb with a red bull or just simple a bowl of meatballs keepsakes uh they have 
what those little goblin gnomes that people make out of socks. <laughs> I love it. I well, this went off the rail, duckies. but this went off the rail a bit. But this is one hundred percent the coolest hotel I've ever seen in my life, and I cannot <laughs> believe I've never heard about this place locally. Wow, this has to well, be Utah's best kept secret until now. I think everyone actually knows about it because I've heard it a lot, but it's fine. It's you know Utah's best known secret, we'll say, and. Uh, and we can also go and investigate and see if they have a plaque for our guy. So we got to do it. I'm sending it to Taylor. I'm going to be like, we got to go here while you're here. So, yeah. So, oh my and, God. Uh, <laughs> if anyone, <laughs> wait, if anyone wants to go to it, it's just anniversary backslash fifth five th underscore south backslash. Actually, we can just put it in the show. If notes. they just, if they just Google anniversary in Salt Lake city, it'll pop up. No, yeah, I want them to go to the actual <laughs> website. So I'm going to put anyway. it up here so it gets put in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> fucking insane. During his 39 years in Salt Lake City, uh, Moritz expanded his brewery into one of the largest outside of Milwaukee, which is actually fucking crazy to think about. His beer reached customers across Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, and even parts of California. In 1889, he married... Lahela from Hawaii, and she joined him in Salt Lake City. Both were active members of the local Jewish community. Oh, I know. Hmm. He served as president of the Temple Binay of Israel, and she led the Hebrew Ladies Relief Society. Oh, Muscle Tough. I know, Muscle Tough. Besides his brewing and business achievements, he engaged in Utah politics with the Liberal Party. His catchphrase, quote, without capital, save energy and intelligence, end quote, would be the best summary of his success. By just being a good, hardworking guy, success came easy for him and in turn money. So, of course, the success Mm -hmm. was not the money. Local historians state that despite his wealth coming from alcohol sales and involvement with the unpopular Liberal Party, he was widely regarded as popular by the Mormon community. Which is, it, that's like what's surprising to me the most. Like, I don't think, I think at that time, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, Utah, I feel like, gets like a little more accepting as time goes on. I don't imagine it being a very accepting place during this time, especially like with all like the meadow massacres and shit that the Mormons did. Yeah, exactly. And as you will find out now, he was chairman of committees for the advancement of Utah's mining industry and a member of the 1895 convention that drafted the constitution under which Utah would become a state, which as we know from maybe we don't, the only reason Utah was granted statehood was denouncing polygamy, which started the separation of the church, the church being the Mormon church, Mm -hmm. Latter-day Saints, LDS, whatever you want to call it, where you up until this point, if you were a practicing Mormon, you participated in polygamy. It was a, a, a fundamental part of it. You didn't yeah. unlock like a certain level of heaven if you didn't have a certain amount of wives. So up until this point, that's what Mormonism was. And it also included, you know, um, not drinking alcohol or drinking caffeine. Which it um, still does to this day. Yeah, which it still does. And is also contrary to like Brigham Young, for example, who did all of those things. Um, so at the, he was actually a part of the committee that drafted up the constitution in which Utah would become a state. And what happened for Utah, um, a prophet had a prophecy saying, oh, my God, 
actually, you guys so fucking silly, you guys. We actually don't need to do polygamy anymore. Even though that was a fundamental base tenet of our religion, we actually don't need to do it anymore. And obviously, um, historians like myself, I would say, um, would say that this prophecy may have been encouraged by the fact that the United States federal government said, we will not grant you statehood or federal help or assistance until you denounce polygamy. And then, of course, motherfucker woke up the next day and was like, you guys will never believe the dream I just had. So I know what's funny is like growing up in Utah and like learning state history. I definitely remember like polygamy being taught as one of the blockers of Utah when I got older, but I distinctly remember when Utah had its like centennial party, we were taught, I was in first grade and the song was called, this is the place. And we'd be like, this is the place, (laughs) which is what I think Brigham Young said. I think that's all I remember. But it's Brigham Young, when they got to Utah, I think, said, this is the place. So we were literally just quoting Brigham Young in our centennial celebration that our parents came to at my public school. Yeah, Brigham Young said, this is the place. And then locusts would come and eat all of the food and the Mormons would get damn near a second away from starvation death. But then the seagulls came and ate them. And that's why seagulls are the state bird. And not just any seagull, the California seagull. So yeah. the California seagull is the Utah State bird because it saved the Mormons from dying because the this is the place actually wasn't really the place. But anyway, so he was there for that. The drafting of what Utah would look like as a quote unquote modern state. A what a king. I love that. I know. And he was active in the commercial club. One of his projects raised um, money to build the first salt palace. Which mm. is very cool. Um, that is super cool. He donated constantly to charity, including money towards filling a boxcar with food to send to survivors of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. I love this guy. I know. He was such a fucking cool guy. He doesn't sound like he's done anything wrong in his whole life. He hasn't. In October 1909, he traveled with his wife to Europe seeking specialized care due to his declining health, stating, again, he's a funny little lad. I've worked hard for 26 years without hardly a day's rest. Don't you think I'm entitled to one now? Which is a fun way to explain how you and your wife are searching the world for Mm -hmm. um, care providers. By June 1910, they reached Germany, where he unfortunately passed from lung and stomach cancer at the age of 61. Motherfuck, man. I know. Pour one out. I I absolutely Gone too soon. Pour a beer out for him. You know he'd love it. But then also finish the beer because he would love that even more. Mm-hmm. He was surrounded by his wife and siblings. After his death, Lahela had her husband cremated, intended to place his remains in a mausoleum in the Jewish section of the Salt Lake City Cemetery. She returned to the United States from Europe on July 23rd, and Jacob's remains arrived on the 25th. Tributes to him noted that he had accumulated a fortune quote, not a single dollar of which was dishonestly gained, end quote, and he, quote, never betrayed a trust, end quote. So just great little, like, he was just a good guy and everyone loved him. No, never did anything wrong. Same with fucking Flo. Just existed, played volleyball, made beer. Yep. Soon after his placement in the mausoleum, rumors began about Emo's grave. And although it's unclear who started these rumors or where the name Emo came from, which we can assume it's like his initials in some way, You can find his grave in, as mentioned before, the Jewish section of the Salt Lake City Cemetery. It's a 
mini mausoleum with a small door on it that used to visibly house his urn. Um, his ashes used to be in the urn, but they were removed, thankfully, when the rumors kind of started. Mm, um, yeah. And we're thankful for that because, unfortunately, the urn was then vandalized. And up until a few years ago, you could still look into the like open grate and see bits of the broken urn. Now it is, is sealed up with. Did like, you a see the broken urn? Metal. Yeah, I have a picture of it. Okay. So on this mausoleum, there's like a giant M for his last name, obviously, and next to it, an E and an O has been carved into it. Unfortunately, uh. for vandalization, and that's where like the emo comes from. So why are we talking about this? Yeah, why are we talking about this, Noel? Legend He's just has a great it, dude. I know he is just a great dude. Legend has it: if you walk around the grave six times in a group of six people and all shine six lights onto the grave, when you are done, you will see two red eyes come out of the grate. Come out of the grate in the door. Another version of the legend says: if you circle Emo's grave three times, chanting "Emo, Emo, Emo." When you approach the door through his mini mausoleum and look in through that grate, you can see Emo's face looking back at you. And I have done, I, I did the circling around and there was nothing. It was fine. Emo, 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 you did that one, but like mm-hmm. the three times? Yeah. If there's one thing I've learned about Lawrence Salt Lake City, it's that its truth is kind of sad. And this is all conjecture. But I think Jacob became a sort of Salt Lake boogeyman after his death, most likely due to prejudice and racism. Because if there's one thing I know about Utah historians, unfortunately, peace and love to them, is that they will always bend history or just leave out truths that paint them in a negative light or truths that might undermine their beliefs. So while like historians will say like he was really loved despite being the second biggest beer brewer compared to fucking Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, and an active member of the liberal party and Jewish. I find it very fucking sus that immediately after his death, lore started to develop that he was some sort of fucking scary boogeyman that if you did certain little rituals, he would come and fucking haunt you. I just really, I don't think that that doesn't happen like on its own. It doesn't, it's not happenstance. It's not coincidence. It's purposefully intentional. It's historically one of the easiest ways to drag someone's name through the mud forever is when they are no longer physically here to stop you from doing that. Yeah. It's also just like, a super important person who's part of some of these fringe groups in Utah, which is crazy to think that being Jewish and a Democrat in Utah is a fringe group, but then just wanting to go flock to the area where he was dead. And then it even being um, like broken into and like his ashes having to be moved. It was obviously like his grave was not treated well. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't treated well, I wouldn't, uh, put aside the idea of like any tulpa stuff or just like lingering bad energy that other people brought to it because there's no bad energy from him. He was a great exactly. man. I feel that way. Um, I feel that way very much. And um, that's why I think that's why I'd like to think my subconscious like wasn't really buying into the whole like 
I circle his grave and say the name and a fucking demon will come out. I was just like, there just seems, that seems like that this is not bad energy here. And I'd like to think that subconsciously I knew he was just a good guy. He was a, just a really, a community member, a charitable man, um, a Jewish man in a Mormon run state. Um, one of the biggest brewmasters on the fucking West yeah. Coast, like in a state that basically made fucking alcohol legal. I mean, up until for 40 years, it wasn't until 2012 that bars became public. Up before, and it was because the Olympics came to Utah in 2012. Up until then, to go to a fucking bar, you had to pay a monthly membership fee to get in beforehand. You had to be a part of a membership to get into the fucking bar. Yeah, because they were private clubs. Yeah, there was no like bar hopping or bar crawling or just casually going to a bar. You had to be a paying member beforehand. And that was to intentionally and purposefully keep them slow, keep people out of them, prevent them from thriving. So I just find it very fucking suspect that Utah's very own Jewish historical brewmaster all of a sudden became Utah's very own boogeyman after he died. I just don't think that uh, there was any love for him when he was here. I think he was a great person, loved by people who uh, were good people as well and loved by people who learn about him today. But I think the reason why uh, almost immediately after his death and his mausoleum went up, it became vandalized and it became a place of like demonic lore, you know, like, mm-hmm. yep. I, I think that was very intentional. And I think it was because of, um, you know, racism and prejudice. I would agree. I don't think that that's a hot take at all. I think that no. that's probably very profoundly what has contributed to the lore of this grave. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that um, born, bred, raised Utah historians who probably have leanings towards the LDS church since they're coming out with statements as the LDS church would say, actually, contrary to popular belief, contrary to everything that he stood for, we actually thought he was pretty cool. The Mormons actually liked him and he was well-regarded. It's like, yeah, you would say that because Mm -hmm. it's documented and proven that he was a great charitable man. So like you wouldn't want to be against him and be seen as a fucking racist loser. So uh, yeah, and that's Emo's grave. (laughs) Love that. That is Emo's grave. Well, let's move on. Gravity Hill. Let's do it. We are going to zoom into, get it, zoom. We are going to zoom into the enigmatic realms of City Creek Canyon, where urban legends and spectral occurrences weave a mesmerizing tale, particularly at the mystifying Gravity Hill, where vehicle is not conforming to the conventional down-the-hill roll. It actually seems to defy all logic and actually goes uphill. The urban legends circling this peculiar spot are as captivating as the hill itself. One tale whispers of a time when architects of the Utah State Capitol, this one's my favorite, itching to physically pull citizens in, craftily embedded magnets within its walls. (laughs) What? That is, honest to God, one of the explanations for Gravity Hill. Okay. Okay. Sometimes I go off camera and I can't make the creepy eye contact with you because I lean too far in. Um, Have you ever done Gravity Hill? I have. And I don't want to burst the bubble since we're barely fucking two sentences in. We're not going to talk about it. So 
Are you going to say I, it's an optical illusion from the horizon? No, I was going to say, I was going to say, when you put a fucking car in neutral, like, it will move. Like, I just, I did not. It's not going to go against gravity, though. It didn't feel like it was going against gravity. You are going uphill when you go to Gravity Hill. By like a, by it's where they say to do it. It's not that significant. It does not look like a fucking hill. Maybe it is an optical illusion. Maybe that's what you would describe it as. That's what people want to say, but they would be wrong because another note for the Capitol is that it is supposedly built atop a native burial ground. That would actually not surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me either, um, which has incited unrest amongst spiritual inhabitants. Um, This alleged desecration has spawned tales of a curse, mysteriously drawing people towards the building, perhaps a silent beckoning from ancient guardians. It's always like, we always want to blame Indian burial grounds or Native American burial grounds, Um, which in Utah probably could be because we have Utes here. It's almost like I more want to blame um, just the people who come in and colonize and just go, oh, you guys have people buried here? Pour the cement. Pour the cement. I very vividly remember um, moving, when we moved into a house in the Bay Area of California, and I think our neighbors were, like, digging in the front yard, and they came across, like, artifacts, like, pieces of cloth and pieces of pottery that were known to be like items buried. Yeah. And they're fucking dead now. Noel. Yeah. Natives. Um, and I was like, wait a damn minute. You're telling me we live on top of a fucking Indian burial. It it actually happened to you. And they're like, yeah, but like they for sure moved the bodies. I was like, did they? Did they? They did a bad job. Yeah. Cause it's, cause it's looking like we're fucking about to come up on one. You're so literally you sure? coming across what they get buried with. So yeah. where, if they've just moved the bodies, they just shook them down and didn't yeah, like their precious things with them. Obviously, also, it was important enough to bury them with them. Yeah, but they were like, oh, I'll leave that. And also, also, you're going to tell me we're believing the people who forced the natives off the land? No. That we move them in a respectful and respectfully ceremonious way in which would honor their beliefs. Now You're I want to see me the receipts. That we did that. Yeah, I yeah, just I want to. Frankly, see I don't fucking believe that. So we didn't. So that's one of them. Um, another explanation for this gravity phenomena is the benevolent farmer ghost from Salt Lake City's early days. Trapped by the deceptive landscape, his tractor fatally tumbled, and his spirit, it's whispered, remains gently urging vehicles uphill to avert similar disasters. And remarkably, attentive visitors claim to see handprints on their bumpers, something that is eerily common with local stories of their ghostly encounters on this hill. Yeah, I've heard that one. Well, not that it was a farmer. I actually heard of it being someone else, which I wonder if you'll cover in a second. But the main thing is that people see handprints on the bumpers or on the uh, back of the windshield. I have seen the handprints, um, but I don't think it's any of the stuff so far. I would love for it to be magnets. But we're about to dive into probably the most interesting story because it's hard. If you can't prove it, it's hard to talk about. Right. And luckily, Mm -hmm. we have proof of this one. So on a more somber note. 
One of America's most devastating school bus accidents happened on December 1st, 1938. On this brisk Thursday morning, a school bus painted in that iconic shade of yellow trundled down a slender county road, making its way towards Jordan High School. Farold Silox, a 29-year-old familiar face, had been the guardian of the Bluffdale and Riverton route for three years, his mind a living directory of the names and addresses of the children who entrusted their journeys to him. That morning, the roads bore a slick coat from a gentle snowfall, and a demure, demure fog hovered over the water bodies and terrained hollows. Running over an hour behind, the flying ute, a potent Denver, Denver and Rio Grande Western freight train of 51 cars, surged northbound, attempting to claw back lost minutes. Farrell, with countless crossings of the rural railroad tracks under his belt and the train schedules imprinted in his mind, had never encountered trains at this crossing at this juncture this, during that time of day. Uh oh. But this day, the flying ute eluded his awareness all until the bus intruded upon the tracks. In a harrowing collision, the school bus was cleaved in two. The larger fragment flung 40 yards northwest from the crossing. Jesus. And children's bodies were cruelly scattered on both sides of the tracks, while the bus's cab was dragged for a horrifying 2,000 feet. Holy shit. Entombing several children and feraled within. Oh, Fuck. And this was marked as the nation's most catastrophic motor vehicle accident at the time. And the calamity claimed the lives of the driver and 25 out of 39 or 38 students. Shit. Responding officer, patrolman Bob Howard, was one of the first on the ghastly scene. It was a hellish sight, Bob expressed. Your heart clenched in pain, but there is no luxury for mourning. Emergency commanded our actions as numerous children, cruelly battered, dangled on the precipice of death demanding our absolute focus. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. I didn't know this. Story. And me either. And the situation plunged deeper into personal tragedy for Patrolman Howard as he, scouring through the debris for survivors, discovered his own niece and nephew amongst the chaos. Mm. Numbness enveloped me in that moment, he reflected. In this line of work, you're starkly reminded of life's fragility. And Lamar maybe recounted how his mother, Anne, had barely survived the accident yet wrestled with its physical reminders throughout her life. She was immensely battered, both legs, her back, and her arms all broken, and the individual seated beside her didn't survive, he recalled. Fuck. And while the physical evidence of the calamity has been effaced by the passage of time, its memory lingers poignantly for those affected. The memories, they remain, each victim from that crash. I've never, not even once, forgotten them, Naylor solemnly noted. And legend suggests that these innocent spirits still linger in Salt Lake, guiding vehicles uphill to prevent further tragedy, and perhaps leaving behind a gentle handprint as a ghostly signature of their internal vigil. So I would say, and I'm sure Noel might agree with this sentiment, that the next time you visit Utah, make sure you keep a watchful eye, as the stories and spirits of the past might gently collide with the present. Yeah, girl. What's actually so interesting about the Gravity Hill one is that I heard that it was like a bride. I heard that it was like a bride on her. Have you heard that? I saw what you put in the different things for us to cover for this episode, right? And one of them's Gravity Hill. And then you did hyphen the bride. I looked up and down. 
bride, bride, bride. I was doing like Utah Gravity Hill plus bride at Google. I couldn't find anything. Do you know about that? No, but that's how I stumbled across the bus thing. Wow. Which I had never heard about in my life. Neither have I, which is fucking crazy because that sounds horrific. I feel like we know more about that train crashing than this. And this sounds more insane than the train crashing. I, it's weird because like Gravity Hill is probably the most popular one next to Lily E. Gray, um, Gray's um, headstone. And I have never heard of the bus thing. I've heard of everything from like, I've heard the farmer, I think is the one, but like never bus lore, which what is mm-hmm. what surprised me as somebody who's lived here their whole fucking life. Yeah. That's no idea. Horrific. That's, fucking terrible but uh yeah the one that i heard was like just a bride on her way to her wedding and the car goes off the side of the canyon and you know that's Mm. where the little story yeah yeah the classic a classic if you will um wow hmm that's fucking terrible (laughs) i know it's so fucking sad wow all of these fucking sad all of these were actually very sad i think so yeah uh yeah all very sad actually the only one that well they're all sad but it's like not all of them had like suit well nope (laughs) yeah they all were like really sad like lily was just you know a a victim of an abusive husband we we summarize right yeah yeah and then um fun time kids care is just a an unfortunately painted daycare center for underprivileged children in low-income communities or refugee kids or kids who are hiding from violent family or parents and it was thrown into it essentially we could say started the fucking pizzagate scandal um Mm -hmm. flow was just a happy successful young um high school athlete who was fucking taken out by the Spanish flu and then became like lore in a cemetery, which is kind of sad. Um, and then emo's grave, just Jacob Moritz being a cool fucking guy, totally made into a boogeyman by Mormons being assholes. And now this gravity Hill being a bunch of goddamn murdered children. Something good did come out of this bus tragedy though. And I guarantee you've experienced it. This is why buses now have to stop whenever they come to the train tracks was because of this accident. Oh my fucking God. That's dark. (laughs) Yeah. That's a Utah. That's that's Utah legislation right there. Yeah. I fucking bet they did. I fucking bet they did. Um, Jesus. That's good. At least. Um, It will end on a high note. Yeah, that that's good at least. And uh, yeah, this is your first episode of Spooktober. If you couldn't figure it out, this is Utah lore, baby. This is Utah lore. Fucking yeah. sad, sad, just like the way this country was founded on tears and death. Yep. <laughs> yeah, fucking <laughs> <God. laughs> it, girl. Um, so yeah, um, excited. I I don't want to spoil what Chelsea brought up. We should do for our second episode, but it is. Highly anticipated, something that I think uh, we've talked about a lot before is near and dear to our hearts. Um, You'll have to remind me 
some of the most redeemable folklore of this country, dare I say, the only redeemable folklore of this country coming out of some mountain range. Oh, I'm so yeah. dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, like, what are you so yeah, excited to start on that and see where the rest of the month of October takes us. Um, I hope, uh, if anything, walked away from this episode learning something, um, which I certainly did, and I will never forget it. Frankly, <laughs> I don't think I could. I don't think yeah. I could. The bus. I, I could. We shouldn't have ended on the bus one, but no, I'm oh, glad whatever. we did because um, that's fucking tragic. But <laughs> speaking of things that are not tragic, you can go to any of our profiles. I'm at Noelle Fane. That's at Sithard. We're at Go to Hell Podcast. And in all of our bios, there's a link. That link will get you to a link tree where you can find things like our Patreon, a dollar gets you in, all of our podcast panels. I don't know why I said podcast panels. All of our Fan X panels are uploaded there for free. We also have episodes every week. Um, we did upload one yesterday, maybe. Was yeah, yesterday? Uh, yeah. We uh, we pushed live our Patreon last night, uh, probably around midnight. We were having extreme technical difficulties yeah. yesterday, but, um, but yeah, that one up. went out last night. Yeah, it's up. It's up. Um, so you can, of course, hear us on Patreon. We. Always appreciate a single dollar getting you in. We also have a link to Kelly Holloran or at Wildwood Owl on Etsy. She makes cool stuff for us and she also makes cool stuff in general that you should go check out. We also have a link to our merch page where Chelsea has just been busting down, busting down new merch designs. Um, so go check that out. Is there any specific merch design you want to shout out right now? Oh, I think that we should do our collaborative baby of the, uh, that we talked about when we last recorded, which is the, uh, L. Ron Hubbard being a little bitch. Yeah. The yeah. L. Ron, the L. Ron shirt, go check that out. And as always, 100% of the proceeds will be donated. Um, what else is in there? We also have a link to our Discord server, our Facebook for the Boomers, and anywhere you can listen to us, which is everywhere podcasts are heard. Um, and yeah, I think that's officially it. I think that's all of that. So um, happy beginning of Spooktober. We'll honestly see you in a few days because we've got to get back on schedule. So you're so fucking welcome. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and since we're just getting dark and sad, but honest and real on this episode, I'm going to go ahead and give number one, a hail Satan. And then number two removed from that, because I don't think they would appreciate it. I'm going to give a hail Palestine because there is no such thing as peace in an occupied Palestine. Okay. Yours is way better than mine. Cause I was going to say hail, hail beer. Do that too, though. Do that too. Okay, though. have beer. Have beer. I don't really beer. like it, but you know what? It's I don't so like rooted. it either. It's rooted in, in Utah culture now, and I'm going to be such a fucking cow from now on when I'm just spitting facts that it was a Jewish beer maker who fucking got our Utah Constitution written, yeah. and uh, which got us statehood. So, <laughs> yep, yep. So um, hail emo and yeah. the music and the man. Yep. A thousand percent. Okay. Let's get the fuck out of here. All right. Bye. Bye.